You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Redeeming the Image of God, based on the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, recorded on Sunday, September 17th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, we're glad you're here. Whether you're sitting in Indiana, Pennsylvania, Freeport, Pennsylvania, Fairview, Pennsylvania. Uh, If you're a guest at the county jail, I'm sorry that you're a first-time guest, but we're happy to have our brothers and sisters there um, watching at least. And and, um, I know we got some folks in Texas, believe it or not, and even in India who may be tuning in. Uh, my name is Mike, and I'm glad you're here. Now, I, I, I have to start out with a little story. When I first got to Armstrong County, where my wife and I happily make our permanent home, hopefully, until the Lord takes us to our real permanent home, and we love it here. We've been here for 13 years, but when I first got here, I was presented with a Steeler jersey and taught that the Steelers were the most important football team. Now, I, I believe that the American thing is always to root for the home team, um, so when, when, whenever the Steelers play my favorite team, um, you know, I, I, I have a quandary. And some were wondering, could I still root for the home team? And since it's first home game this year for the Steelers, and they're playing my favorite team, the Vikings, I decided to wear my Steeler jersey. Now, I can't preach in a jersey because I don't want you guys thinking about football. So I'm going to take it off. And uh, I don't want you thinking about football the rest of the night. Go Steelers. <laughs> Second thing, as we get into uh, the subject we're getting into, people are getting nervous. People are getting nervous in community groups. My wife is nervous. Big Fred is nervous. He, he's normally not nervous about what I preach. And people are worried that I'm going to say something that makes everybody angry or at least someone important to them. And um, wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> would never be my intention, but don't be afraid, folks. The Lord is, is we're looking at God's word, which is good, and uh, God's sheep hear his voice, and all of our ideas constantly have to move into alignment with his. Um, so I don't sit around worrying who's going to agree, who's not going to agree. I sit thinking, boy, the word of God is good. Some people will have to change their minds. I'm always changing my mind as I study the scripture. It's what we do. But I, it, with that in mind, I want to introduce you just briefly to a woman named Mary Cassian, and I'm not going to share these books with you because they're out of print. And, um, but actually this book in the 90s, I wasn't even a pastor yet, this book was written and I wanted to read it. And it's called The Feminist Gospel, The Movement to Unite Feminism with the Church. Feminism isn't what you think it is um, if you think it's about equal pay or voting. That's not what feminism is about. Um, and I was seeing a lot of it come into the church as a layman, and so I got this book by Mary Cassian, so impressive, very scholarly work. This was one of the most helpful books I, I ever read. That's why I'm not, I don't even, I'm not even going to give it away, because, by the way, they had a second printing. She changed the name to The Feminine Mis- Mistake. <laughs> Probably the publisher told her to do that to get more sales. It must not have worked, because that's out of print now, and she also helped me a lot with Women Creation in the Fall, and uh, I haven't read these in years, but I'm, I'm going to be re-looking at them again. But I bring it up to bring up this. So then when I saw that she had a Bible study that's current, uh, Mary Cassian and Nancy Lee DeMoss, on divine design, an eight-week study for biblical womanhood, I was psyched. So I bought some 
for our Harvest Bookstore. And if you're not in Katanning, you can either come here and get one, or you could just go on Amazon.com and get one. Um, and then I was even more excited to see somebody organize some sort of study using this book here. And you would say, oh, I missed that, or I can't come. Listen, I want to tell you something about Bible studies. You know what's cool about them? They don't, you don't have to go to an organized Bible study. You can have your own disorganized Bible study. <laughs> Bible studies are cool. All you need is people who want to study the Bible. You can just open the Bible or find a cool curriculum from people you trust. Then I saw this on my wife. My wife has this book. And I'm like, what is she doing with it? She's actually going to seek to start a Bible study with women friends she has in India and even in America. It's not all here. And she's going to use this book. So I was really excited about that. And I... I'm excited enough to say, ladies in our church, you can start a Bible study with you and one other person. You can do it alone. It's not as fun. You and one other person, two other people, three other people. The reason you get a curriculum is you have the teacher in the book. You don't even have to worry about knowing things. And they tell you what to look up and you read through. And I would recommend that. Um, I recommend Bible studies in general for men and women. Um, and man, if you want to know about True Woman 101, go for that. That's fine. Uh, trust me, you will not understand women if you study them your whole life as well as they understand themselves. So, but you can go for it. Um, <laughs> and don't be afraid of this subject. Don't be afraid to talk about sex, humanity, gender, male, female, transgender, whatever. Um, God is good. But I hope what you see we're doing here is last week we started with a foundational piece. God created everything. Then this sermon, the next few, are going to go in a very logical, foundational order. We have the stone underneath us. We're putting the next step. After we get through those, we might splinter a little bit and try to talk about details and answer every question. But right now, they're going in a very logical progression. If you missed last week, I'd actually urge you to listen to last week's message on God created everything, because it will show you, you say, I know that, but it will show you how it connects to what we're talking about. The subject of today's is just to answer this question, what does it mean to be human? That's our whole goal here is, what does it mean to be human? And we're looking not for our answer, but a biblical answer. If we were looking for our answer, we'd find some amazing things. As I uh, pointed out last week, you, and if, hopefully you did it, because it will prep you for this week, but if not, you could still do it. You can go Google, what does it mean to be human, and look at all the answers you get. Um, one thing I noticed about, I read a lot of them, and, and I went for the most scholarly, or the ones who said they were most scholarly, I went for PhDs, professors, I went to the National Geographic page, I, I wanted to see what people said it means to be human, and I was just so amazed that people are asking the question. If people are asking the question right now, it means it's on their mind. If it's on their mind, it means they're going to act on it, and that's what we're seeing all around us. And what really uh, uh, surprised me was the trajectory. In other words, if you start with a question, what's it mean to be human? Most people come at it from the position we've all evolved. Uh, they leave God out of the equation. I'm not saying every one of them is an atheist, but either that or they're agnostic. They're mostly atheists, but they could be agnostic, saying, I don't know where God is, but I do know man is a colossal accident. That I expected, but the trajectory that shocked me a little bit was that Almost 100%, not quite, there were a couple who, who went in a different direction, almost 100% ended whatever answers I could find on the web of them of what does it mean to be human with, a, with an urge to move us towards environmentalism. And I thought, how do you connect those two? But they do. They all go that direction. 
right? <laughs> um, and, and then I was thinking about the scripture. And the Bible tells us that if we don't have God, we will move to worship of the created thing, to the creature over the creator. We'll either worship a human or we'll worship the land or we'll worship animals. <laughs> and they all move. Look, try it for yourself. Oh, Stephen Harding, one of the proponents of this, I took his summary because he, he, he's typical. He's from a place called Shoemaker College. I have no idea where that is, but apparently he's one of their brilliant professors. And he said this at the end of his little essay on what it means to be human. He said, thus, the most, the most pressing challenge for our times. What would you say that is? I'd say it stopped people from nuking other people. That'd be me. That's where I'd go. But he doesn't say that. Thus, the most pressing challenge for our times is to awaken the ecological selves. You have an ecological self in you, apparently, an earth-loving self, of as many people as possible. Did you just realize that? He may not realize it. That's practically a spiritual goal. Now, we're trying to awaken people to the knowledge that they're blinded by Satan and in sin and need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He says we need to awaken people to their ecological selves as many as possible within the shortest time possible. It's vitally important to help people to fall in love with the earth by whatever means possible. Stephen Harding, Shoemaker College. You see, the point of view that humans... Um, come from evolution always has to lead to this. Humans are the random uh, product of a process that produced lots of living creatures and they're just one more. And, and, and so as just one more, the most optimistic voices say stuff like this. Our species is moving towards something better and normally it's something very collective. We're all going to get together on a good idea we may evolve to that, we may force our evolution to that, and we will all be unified and love the world and everything will be good. The more pessimistic says, the species known as, as human is, 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 is uh, the scourge. It's, it's, it's evolution's big mistake. There is someone who actually wrote a book called The World Without Us that says how great it would be and what would happen if all the humans were gone. And oh, how wonderful that would be. Um, <laughs> don't give that guy any nuclear bombs. He might try it. But they think evolution is, has created a monster in creating mankind. They're a little right, but they don't know why. Because we're the ones who dirty and kill. And What was your clue? We shot Bambi's mom. I mean, that should have been your clue, right? You watch this movie, you're a little kid, you're watching. and you know Now they have uh, all you get in Disney is little princesses with eyeballs as big as plates. I don't know why. They have a head this big, their eyeballs are this big. You're like, ah! They're all like on crack. I don't know. Princesses on crack is what I see when I see Disney. But back when I was a kid, we had, we had Bambi, who, by the way, was a guy. I want to remind people of that because most time, it's always a girl. You never see a guy named Bambi. Huh, Bambi. It's always a, a woman, but it was a man. Maybe he was transgender. No, he wasn't. But <laughs> see, you're loosening up. You're not as scared to say the word. So I'm watching this. I'm a little kid. I love my mommy. And the first thing they say is, man is in the forest, right? The whole forest is on fire. And then there's a gunshot, and his mom is shot. Man is horrible. He kills mom and sets the place on fire. Well, that really is what a lot of pessimistic voices think of, the, of humanity. Now, at this point, you might say, and I'd understand it, why do I care what philosophers and professors think? Right? By the way, I wish everyone had that attitude because unfortunately, there's not enough knowledge that's, that's useful coming out of them. 
But here's why you should, because you live in the culture they create. The professors of the universities, unless something breaks and changes this, always create your culture. It normally lags by about 20 years. But whatever they're teaching now, because what they're doing is they're training your teachers, your dentists, your engineers, your everybody's. And even if they don't agree with them, enough agree that you get a settled way of thinking. And this is what they teach, and they have been teaching this for a long time, and and that's why we see what we see around us. Very interesting thinking, though. I I can see their logic. If, If humanity is just an accident, then the word human is itself never describing anything that's fixed. Right? It's not a thing. A human is just what we're describing as you on your way to whatever you're going to be. Uh, As one person put it, the word human is just a folk tag, not a scientific term, he'd argue. It's just what you say is a human. (laughs) So humans are what we determine they are. So, should you really wonder that definitions of sex, gender, marriage, male and female roles change daily? How did this happen? This... We, we're just reaping what our professors have been teaching us for decades. Our society fully embraces the evolutionary conception of what it means to be human. Therefore, there is no philosophical defense you have for ever saying a human being is more valuable than anything else. Or to say it's great. Or not great. You can say what it means to be human, whatever you want it to mean. Almost. What does it mean to be human? I submit to you that mankind left to his own is too foolish to answer the question. And the proof I give you, Google it. Mankind is too dumb to answer the question. Dumb means you can't talk. Too stupid. Mankind, apart from God, truly proves 2 Timothy 3.7 that says, ever learning and never coming to the truth. So let's look to God for the answer. It is, we're not smarter than anyone else because we're Christians. In fact, some of us aren't that bright. I was always told school, the class would be better off if that student wasn't in it. (laughs) So, and and now I'm teaching. (laughs) We say our God is the one who's smart. So let's look what God has to say. What does it mean to be human? The answer is found right in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Let's read chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Just six verses, right? Six. Yeah. Um, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. My daughter, Michael, exercised dominion yesterday. We had one of those. You ever have one of those great big spider outbreaks? These are the guys that don't live in webs. They just kind of run all over the side of your building. If you've never seen one, they're awesome, but not to my wife or my daughter. I come home, and this has nothing to do with this, but I come home and saw the dominion, though, because there were two empty bottles of full, or once full, raid wasp killer. And the third one was being sprayed right now. There was nothing alive. The dog was sick on the lawn. I mean... I'm like, what are you doing? Give me that. Put down the raid and back away slowly. There's a creeping thing on the earth and I'm on. 
She took dominion. Anyway. And God blessed them. Oh, wait. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. Here's our number one verse. If you're an underliner, underline 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you, as a gift, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. And you shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, to every thing that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given them green plants for food. This is cool. God not only gives you all the animals, he gives you the pet food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. Much different than our point of view. (laughs) Right? From the beginning, we can rule out the idea that a human is just a folk tag named to an accidental species, one among many, that is in process on its way to something else or a scourge of the earth or whatever you want to think of it as. Here's God's point of view. Now, this one sings... You start plugging in this kind of thinking, things start to make sense. Um, I live by what C.S. Lewis says, I experience all the time. He says, I don't believe Christianity only because I know it's true, but, but by it I can see everything else. Just like I don't just believe in the sun because I see it come up, but by the sun I can see all other things. You take this definition of mankind and start applying it to things and they start to make sense. They start to pull them back together and the insanity goes away. What's it mean to be human in a systematic way? Because that's the easiest way for us to think is systematically. According to Genesis 1, I'm going to give you a list, right? We're made in the image of God. We think rationally because he taught us to. And so here's a list of rational ideas from Genesis 1. One, humanity is made in the image of God. This is our foundation stone that goes on top of God created everything. The Imago Dei, as they call it. Notice God says, let us make man in our image. And then says, he made them. Very interesting use of the pronouns. He's not trying to be gender uh, sensitive, but he's mixing up plural and singular. (laughs) Why? Because he is plural and singular, and man is plural and singular. He is, we have one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And though that's going to be revealed fully in the New Testament, right here in the beginning, we see it when he says, let us. Make man in our image after our likeness. And then he said he made them, male and female. So first I want you to note that that God is plural (laughs) and that man is made differently than the rest of creation. He made everything else and nothing, of nothing does he say, that's my image. Just man and woman. To be his image means... You have superior value. Obviously superior place, but superior value. What exactly does it mean to be made in the image of God? Theologians talk about it. I I went and read a bunch of it, and I'm going to save you time. Don't. (laughs) 
Because the problem is the Bible only tells us so much directly about what it means to be made in the image of God. I can give you my guesses on what it means for sure. <laughs> well, my guesses for sure, that doesn't work. Let me give you my guesses on what it might mean. One is we're, this is not, don't, I shouldn't use numbers because I'll confuse you note takers. Uh, A, we relate with language. Other things, though, people always say, well, the whales do. Have you listened to whales? <laughs> I mean, you say birds do, birds don't. I, I don't, this year I love to listen to blue jays, most annoying bird to many people, but I love them. And I love, and, and, but you know what? One of the reasons I love blue jays is because they sound exactly like my memories from when I lived in Georgia as a kid. And I like the sound. It's been 50 years. These things have not figured out how to say a different word. You know, dogs communicate, roof, roof. Okay. Only humans communicate. We can abstract. We can imagine the number zero. We can do humor. No animals can do that. Trees don't do that. Is, it, is that what he means, that we're like him? We're moral creatures. You can, you, can, you can punish an animal for doing wrong, but you can't really hold them accountable for making a wrong choice. It's as wrong as your point of view. They just do what they were made to do. We live by volition. Not instinct. You might think ants are smarter than you because, or bees, because they can make these perfect, what are those, hexagons? What do they make? And those, I don't know what that shape is, but it's cool looking and it makes honey. You make honey. You think, that's hard to do. Maybe, but it's the only thing they can do and it's by instinct. Whereas you can make choices. If you were a bee, you'd say, I'm not making honey. I'm going to make beef gravy and, you know. We dread mortality. Ecclesiastes says, God put eternity in our hearts. He didn't put it in theirs. They never seem to notice. But maybe that's what he means by image of God. Maybe not. But what we do know he means comes from Scripture itself. We do know God gives us the highest place over creation. He said, I made him in my image, and you have therefore dominion over all things. The highest place. Look at Psalm 8 here. He says, This is David speaking. He says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place. So David's just like us. (laughs) He's a Bible guy. He's looking up at the sky and goes, wow. You know, he's blown away by what he sees. When I look at those things and I think of how big that is and how small I am, I think, what is man that you are even thinking of him? Why do you even think we exist? We're like dust. Or the son of man that you care for him. Just repetitive. Why? You ever think that? You ever look out at the Milky Way and go, God, why do you care we're here? We're like tiny. Yet, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. We're made in his image. We're going to come back towards that. Um, but first, I want to introduce, I want to interrupt it with the idea of sin. I was thinking, I'm trying to lay this foundation one thing at a time, but we have to introduce sin kind of out of order. It hasn't come yet. You know what sin is. It's doing bad things, going against God and whatnot. Adam and Eve, the very first humans, had none. Everything was copacetic. They were holy when they created, were created, but Adam chose to sin. Their offspring sin naturally. Every human being was born with sin within them. 
they couldn't sin until they could make a choice, but as soon as they could make a choice, they proved they're sinners. Humans do that. Which leads me to a question I think we should ask of the Bible. Does our sin erase the image of God? If we had the image of God, God's holy. Now we're a mess. We're destined. The wages of sin is death. We're, we're going to die where we wouldn't have before. We're going to be punished for our sin spiritually. How can we still have the image of God? We're a mess. No, we still bear the image of God, even as depraved humans. Our value still originates with creation in his image. Ravi Zacharias calls it a shattered visage because he uses fancy words, and that works. But we see it very clearly after the flood. Remember the flood? Remember Noah? Remember the animals? God wiped out mankind because of his wickedness, except Noah and his family. And after the flood, he said, now that you're off the boat, let's get back to work here. I'd like you to have dominion over everything, um, and I'd also like you to multiply and fill the earth. And then he said... If an animal kills you or a human kills you, that animal or human has owes me their blood. And he said this, Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man his own image. No animal has this distinction. No animal does. Right, I once watched this special with these wild horses. Wild horses, the purest thing in the world, running around being pure without humans to mess up their lives. And this one wild horse grabbed this baby horse and just started slamming it. Boom, 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 boom. It was like, that's the, that's the, it was like, I'd rather see a slasher movie. It was horrible. And that little baby horse was dead. The baby horse. Well, no one's coming for that horse to say, you killed the horse, God's mad. You're going to have to forfeit your life. In fact, he became like King Horse in the wild horse pack. Doesn't seem fair. God says, because man is made in my image, if you kill one, you owe me your blood. And it institutes there the death penalty and government because you, you obviously can't kill them back. If they killed you, people have to get together and figure this out. People say the death penalty is, shows that you don't care about life. No, it shows the opposite. We care so much about it that there's no greater crime than to kill a human. That's what the Bible teaches. There's no greater crime. So much so that if an animal does it, and granted, animals are not moral creatures. You get every year, every time I go up to visit Alaska in the summer, every single time someone gets eaten by a bear. Okay? If you go to Alaska, don't go in the woods without a gun. They don't have bears that run away from you and hide. They eat you. <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you stronger except bears. Bears kill you. And when they do, there's always saying something, people saying, well, he walked between the the mother and her cubs. It was just doing what nature taught it. And you know what God says? That may be true, but nobody kills one of my images without forfeiting their life, kill the bear. Why? Wasn't the bear's fault? God says, look, when the image of God, that's you, 
broken though we are, shattered visages though we are, when you roam the earth, you should be left in peace. You should be able to walk the earth without anyone killing you because you're made in the image of God. Or consider the Ten Commandments, or at least the beginning of them. Remember it says, you shall not make for yourself any graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. People want a God they can see. They want to worship something they can touch. They want pictures of God. The Greek Orthodox Church has icons or pictures of of, of saints and whatnot, and, and, and they're to help you worship. And, and, and then, well, the Catholics got them beat because they just have actual statues. They go 3D. They had more money than the Eastern Catholics. So there you go. And, and, then, and then we want, you know, the Indians have totem poles. Or Native Americans have totem poles. Almost got in trouble there. See, you didn't expect me to go uh, get in trouble with that group of people. It was... <laughs> You know, you've got to have a God you can see. We were in India, and there was, there was monkey statues, and, and there was, you want to have some fun, go to Bali in Indonesia. Statues everywhere, and people worship them. People bowing down. Do you know that the word for image used in Genesis, in Greek, you'll recognize it because it sounds like the English word which was taken from it, is icon. You can't help but wonder. God says, don't make images of me. First, you don't know what I look like. Right? You all know that old, that old story about the little kid who's drawing God and the teacher doesn't like it. She says, what are you drawing? He says, I'm drawing God. She says, this is Sunday school. You've got to get this right. Nobody knows what God looks like. He says, they will when I'm done. <laughs> well, actually, you, you won't. You can do art if you want to, but don't make these things to worship. But then think about this. God made icons of himself called you. His goal was to have them multiply and fill the earth. And the grandest creature he saw when he looked down wasn't the buffalo. It wasn't the baby seal. or wasn't anything on the endangered species list that you might want to worship. It was humans. A bunch of little icons staring back at him. And he wanted them to worship him. That's the closest you get. I'm not saying we're gods. I'm saying we're in his image. God desires to be reflected, not in an image made with hands, but an image made by himself. We are to reflect his glory. That's why sin is so serious. His image was marred by rebellion. Every time you sin, you're marring the image of God. That's not a big deal if God's not important. Right? I've made sandcastles. They're always lumpy looking. I do my best, but they don't look that good. So if my brother would run over and kick it over, and that's the kind of thing he'd always do, he would mar my sandcastle. Wasn't that big a deal, but... If you go down to the Louvre, whatever those French call that place, and you find the Mona Lisa and you throw paint on it, you just marred an image that was very valuable and your sin is great. My brother today is going to jail. And when he goes and the French take him off, I'd say, that's for the sandcastle too. (laughs) When you sin, you mar the image of God. Something more valuable than a hundred Mona Lisas. 
That's why he takes it so seriously. That's why he doesn't let it go. Second thing to note here, if you know my list, if you're new, don't be afraid. Everyone who's regular knows my first one's always my longest. So that, the longest one's over. Second, humanity is male and female. It just is. Humans come in two varieties, male and female. We're going to look closer at that next week. The next step we're going to build is called male and female. And we're going to look at that and how that leads to marriage for some. <laughs> two varieties. To make humanity, you must have a male and a female. You can't have a male and a male or a female and a female. It's incomplete. You have to have a male and a female. In the, in the creation story. And there's an equality of value here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. In, so he uses the masculine to describe both of them, him. But then he uses the plural because he made two of them. Male and female, he created them. That means they're not the same. Males aren't females and females aren't males. One of the earliest feminist ideas was to say the distinctions between male and female. And these are the ideas you live with. The ones that came out in the second wave feminism of the 60s, you're living with today. And the idea was men and women aren't that different except for some biological issues. It's society that makes them that way. And if you want to prove it, let's get rid of all the societal differences and you'll see. Of course, their experiment has failed and failing, but people still believe that. But it's not so. God made two different sexes and they're very different and it's more than the plumbing. But they're equal in humanity. There's no pecking order here that says, I'm not saying whether who's the leader. That's not the issue. Who's the most valuable? And they're, they're equal in value, but they're different. I want to point something out here as a side note. One of the, the ways that the modern mind thinks you know, we're smarter because we take evolution to everything. We always think we're smarter than the past ages. It's arrogance of the present, arrogance of the contemporary. It's called an anachronism. That's when you, you think chrono for clock, um, uh, ana for against the clock. You know, an anachronism is when you get history wrong by putting it out of order. And we sit around thinking, <laughs> anachronistically, that they're stupid back then. We must know a lot more now than they did then. And America, if you grew up in this country like you did and I did, and most of you did, you've been taught <laughs> that women were just cattle until Gloria Steinem came and set them free. This book was written 4,000 years ago. There are not that many people on the earth. And the God... The only God gave his people the book that said, men, women, equal in value to me. And in that parentheses, that wasn't really where I wanted to go. Three, humanity is given dominion over the earth. That's what it says. We're in charge. Much different than, than the environment being in charge. Much different than animals being in charge. We are here to manage the earth. We're not de to be detached from it. That's what you're here for. Matter of fact, you're not here for much else except to multiply, manage the earth, and worship God. Everything else is extra. 
We're to manage the animals and the earth as God would have us. People are afraid of authority. Well, if you're in charge, that means you'll burn all the trees out. You know, <laughs> I, look, I made you in charge and you burned everything down and you dirtied all the rivers. Look, people will burn things down. People will dirty rivers. People will be selfish because sin is in people. But that's not, <laughs> that's not what God wants when he gives them authority. He wants them to act like he would. to see the beauty of a tree and to cut down another to make your house, to plan that out. So you have the beauty and you have, I don't have to go into that, you understand, but we're not random animals nor evolution's big mistake. We're the earth's gardeners and zookeepers. That's why we must never, listen, never, ever, ever, ever raise animals or the environment up to equal value of any human being. All you can really do, you're not really raising the animals, you're lowering them and lowering us with them. Because if something made in the image of God is your caretaker, you're more valuable than if just some random evolutionary accident is messing with you. One human is more valuable than every dog on the planet. Every dog. Every dolphin, every baby seal, every tree. Because the human has an eternal soul. People wonder if there'll be dogs in, the, in heaven in the new world. I'm thinking, yes, we get them now. My dog? I don't know. I'm going to go with okay. I don't know, but if it's up to me, God, give him his dog back. And if he can raise you, he can raise your dog but you're more valuable than your dog. You're more valuable than all dogs. Do you know the, the Down syndrome abortion rate in America is up to 67%. 67% of Americans who find out they have Down syndrome kill the baby. Now, that doesn't mean that 67% of Down baby are killed because a lot of people don't get the test. So that's good news. But France which most women get the test, it's 77. Denmark, it's 98%. And Iceland, where virtually every woman is tested, it's almost 100%. Statistically, it's 100%. Denmark's wiping out Down syndrome. Every one of those babies is worth more than every fish in the ocean. But man, in his great ability to save the planet can't expend any effort to save that baby because we're fools but God isn't the human soul is of I love using this word I used to have to look it up inestimable value (laughs) that means you can't estimate the value (laughs) four humanity's existence on the earth is a display of the goodness of God God made man good. God made the earth good. You say, well, if he made the earth good, how come something goes wrong now and something goes wrong there? Have we not covered this? You do not have to apologize to, for God every time a hurricane. Where was God in the hurricane? Thank you. Maybe there are Neanderthals. You're still here. He was in the wind. If Adam and Eve don't sin... Do you realize as the image bearers who had dominion over everything, when they fell into sin, the entire earth was cursed. That's what the Bible teaches. There's hurricanes because Adam's race is a bunch of sinners. I'm not saying if you get hit by hurricanes because you sinned, 
But I'm saying there's hurricanes because all of us collectively are sinners. Take away sinners, take away death. God made the earth good, and he made man good, and it's a good earth. He didn't give us a bunch of vitamin packs and protein powder. He gave us hamburgers and ice cream. You know, he doesn't give you just what you need outside. He gives you beauty. God's intention is still good, and he intends to do the impossible, impossible for us. What's that? Rescue Adam's race. The entire Bible is a story, a love story of God for his people, you, me, people out there who are confused. You see, that if you read the Bible, you see that it's, it's a story of God making a valuable place, putting the most valuable thing in the most valuable place, telling it to multiply. They fail. And so what he does is, as they diminish their value as low as can go, because now they're sinful and he, he hates sin, he restores them, but not to the garden, but up here. I'm going to read you a text and then give you an illustration and we'll close. And, and both of them have the same goal, to show that God restores us, but not to the garden. We're not going back to the garden. We got to get ourselves back to the garden. Remember that? Crosby, Stills, Nash, see you old timers? Who remembers that? They used to smoke pot. If your hands was up, they smoked pot. <laughs> Caught ya! He goes, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so first a text, then an illustration. Here's the text. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 57. Here's the rescue of mankind comes. You know, Christ died on the cross to save mankind, to, to take my sin and yours on his innocent body, wash it away, and to raise up and save us. And here is Paul making that application. And if you're worried about dying, just let this wash into your mind. It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, now that's a figure of Jesus. He was a different kind of man. Even though he took on a body, he'd always existed as God, and he didn't have sin. He became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. You're not born spiritually first. Mormons wrongly believe that all your spirits are floating in heaven until you're born. That's wrong. This verse says it clearly. You are first made of the dirt like Adam and Eve. Then spiritual. The first man was from the earth. He was made out of the dust. The second man, Jesus, he came from heaven. As the man, as was the man of dust, so are also those who are of the dust. In other words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If you're of this humanity, you go back there. But if you are born of the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Well, just as we have borne the image of man, of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What does that mean? The body that Christ rose from the grave with. Same body that died, but new and improved. You get one. That's what it's saying. It's spiritual, but it's physical too. Hard to understand. I tell you this, brothers. 
Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He means die. We shall not all die. We're not all going to croak. We're not all going to buy the farm. There will be Christians standing there one day. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. He's talking about the return of Christ. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Those who love Jesus, knew Jesus from all times, up they come, baby. But they're not going to look like zombies or creeps. They're going to look beautiful. If you saw one come up, you think, most beautiful human I've ever seen. Oh, there's another, there's another, there's another. There's a- Grandma, you never look so good. You're kind of saggy my whole life, but look at you. She would look beautiful. People say, what, what age are you going to be in heaven? Age? Why even ask, there's no such thing as age in heaven. Age is just you measuring how fast your cells break down. If you have body that doesn't break down, you mean these wrinkles will be gone? Yes, sweetheart, those wrinkles will be gone. Now's the time I should sell you a night cream, but I don't have one. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable this, this body that's dying puts on means it dies. And now the same guy, see, it puts on because I have a soul. The same, I'll be the same guy, but I'll be in a brand new body. Puts on the imperishable. And when this mortality, this mortal person who dies, I mean, I, I, don't, I won't have any rot on me. I'll just be a nice, clean soul, and, but I'll put on an immortal body. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Gone! The sting of death was sin. That came from Adam. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are the valuable image of God. We're diminished. We're diminished. But He rescued us. And if you receive Christ as your Savior, you are born again. And you will get, you will live forever. But you won't go back to the garden where you can sin again and blow this thing. And you've got to walk around naked with a bunch of other people which still feels embarrassing even without sin but you're going to be way better than you ever were I have a 1991 Brett Favre Stadium Club card now you might say what's that <laughs> well actually it even has an error on it he's, he's playing for the Falcons that's who drafted him out of Mississippi and he, um, he has um, it's spelled wrong it's spelled F-A-R-V-E which actually sounds like it's spelled correctly his family spells it wrong I have one. Not counting things that are signed or extra things, but things you get in an actual card box, I think I have the most valuable Brett Favre card you can have. If it's in perfect condition, it's not, but it's still valuable. But if it's in perfect condition, it's worth $275. It was just in a pack of cards. I didn't even know who the guy was when I bought it. Let's say I pull it out. <laughs> Look at a pack of cards. <laughs> Here it is, and someone's going to give me $275 for it because that's what it's worth. But then all of a sudden, someone grabs it, rips it, tears it up, stamps it in the ground, puts doggy stuff on it, stumps on it, and it's like, bleh. I'm like, who are you? He says, I'm Adam. (laughs) Sorry, I'm pushing the metaphor too far. But how much is it worth now? Zero. But then Jesus comes along in my story. And he goes, oh, little fella, I know you're 53, but you're a little fella, and 
And he's, let me restore that card for you. And he picks it up, and it's gone. And I think I'm going to get back a perfect $275 card. Nope. Instead, he gives me one that's made of pure gold, and it's that thick. That's what it's like to get saved. You don't go back to Adam and Eve. You become like the man Christ Jesus. What's it mean to be human? If you know Christ, it's, it's the most glorious thing to be on the universe. We're going to explore the implications of male and female marriage, all those things. But hold on to the big stuff here. <laughs> know that you have a good destiny. If you don't know Christ as Savior, change. <laughs> uh, I unapologetically say, my goal is to get you to think nothing's better than Jesus Christ. I can't make you but I beg you to think about it. Talk to him. Ask him to come and save you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.